listening to a Called Collective podcast, where we seek to equip the next generation of ministry leaders. The Called Collective produces multiple podcasts, which you can find in the description below. To learn more about The Called Collective, visit our website at thecalledcollective.org or check us out on Instagram at The Called Collective. Welcome back to the Defining Yes podcast. My name is Regan Tippy. I'm your host. And today I have the honor of having Amy Beagle on the episode actually for the second time. Uh, I hate to admit this, but the first time I had her on, got done. I was like, that was such a good conversation, was hyping it up, was really excited about the content. Uh, left and then uh, our producer or our um, editor came in and was like, hey, did you not save it? And I was like, no, I left it up. Like, I didn't save it. He's like, no, there's actually nothing there. I was like, what do you mean there's nothing there? And <laughs> ultimately uh, we realized that I didn't actually hit record. I just started the timer and didn't hit record. <laughs> so for the first time for everybody else, I have Amy on the podcast and asked her to just kind of run through her story. It's going to be a little bit of a repeat for me, hopefully, but just sharing her experience to hopefully um, walk with you guys in your journey. And so I asked if she would start with where her relationship with the Lord began um, into her call into ministry and then to what she's doing now with it. Sure. And I'm glad to be back. We rescheduled <laughs> this, I think, three times. So <laughs> yep. we are determined to get here. Yes. I am a um, product of a first-generation Christian parents. And I say that because I am really proud of my parents. Mm. Um, my grandparents on neither side were, um, on both sides, I guess is a better way to say it, um, both sets of my grandparents were not Christians. And so my parents became Christians because if I remember the story right, a neighbor basically told their pastor, I mean, they weren't going to do personal evangelism, but they wanted their pastor to do their, <laughs> earn his money, apparently, and um, said, this couple needs to be invited to church. And they came over, the pastor came over twice, and my parents turned the lights off and tried to get really quiet and pretend they weren't <laughs> home. It is for real. And I just love that the Holy Spirit would not let that pastor rest. Mm, yeah. And he came back to my parents' house and knocked again. And they were like, okay, we'll go to church. And pretty much we're both saved on the first Sunday at about age 30. Wow. And totally dramatically changed our family tree. And mm. so I grew up with parents who were on fire spiritually. We were at church. The Bible was always out on the dining room table. Somebody was doing some kind of Bible study. My mom was in a Bible study group. My dad with within no time was leading, you know, some different studies than my mom was too. And so I just grew up, I think when I was younger, like middle school, junior high, I was kind of like embarrassed of my family tree. Like mm. I, w I wanted that heritage, like yeah. of my family tree was like alcoholism and like, like just foul mouth talk. Like you went over there and it was just not the way my family lived. And so mm -hmm. going to my grandparents was always just a little bit uncomfortable because they didn't live the way I lived. Mm. But now when I look at it, I'm like, oh my word, my parents broke through. Yeah. Um, the Lord just broke the chains in our family through my parents' salvation. And so I just had a totally different life growing up than they mm -hmm. did. So that was when I was six months old when they became Christians. So I actually was very young. I was about four, four and a half years old in the back of the car asking my mom about heaven, looking up at the sky. I remember laying in the back seat of the car and looking out the back rear view window and asking my mom all these questions about heaven and how did I get there? 
and in the car, my mom led me to the Lord and it stuck. Like it's, it was real. It was a real decision. Not to say that I didn't have, you know, my struggles with sin or things that were in the way that I had to recommit at times, Mm -hmm. but that was my real decision moment and it got a lot more serious as I got older. But so I was young when I came to faith. I, I started, I graduated from here and then went and got my master's and I started my career as a therapist. So I was a mental health therapist for kids and teenagers primarily for the first eight years, it was all kids and teenagers. And then for the next five to six years, I was a variety. I did married couples, women, and some kids and teenagers. But I was in the mental health field, very involved in my church always. We lived in two different communities, about an hour from Marion and then back in this Marion area. And I was on missions trips. I was on the board. I was on the pastor search committee. I mean, I was very involved in my church always and loved it. And it was through my involvement, uh, we had moved back to Marion and we were at the River Church and I was on the board and I was just one of those like volunteers that now when I look at myself, I'm like, I was one of those, like I was going to everything extra (laughs) coming all the time and just fired up. Yeah. Yeah. Give me that next assignment. Yeah. Let me give me that next Mm -hmm. assignment. And um, our church had this consulting agency come in. And when they came in, they suggested to our um, lead pastor that he needed somebody to help him with details, that he wasn't a detailed person. He was a visionary person. And they were like, we think you need an executive pastor. And quite honestly, we think you should ask that lady, Amy Beagle, on your board. So that was my quote unquote, like invitation to consider Mm -hmm. full-time ministry. And I said no to it. Um, (laughs) I was like, oh, I don't think so. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much for asking me, but no. I don't think so. I had actually signed a contract at my current employer for another year of work. I had signed that like three months before. So I even said, I mean, if you ask me at this time next year, if you don't have it filled, then maybe that would be, I'm just a slow decision maker too. Mm -hmm. Like maybe then I would. And I think that sat with our lead pastor for about a day. And then he called me back and (laughs) said, "Uh, hey, did you even pray about that? And I was like, Mm. oh no, good point. I'll pray about that. Totally still assuming it would be no. Mm. And I actually came here to Indiana Wesleyan to the prayer chapel. Had never been in there before and quite honestly have only been in there once or twice since. Came here three days in a row and dedicated some time to praying. By the end of the second day, I was feeling a stirring. By the end of the third day, I was calling my husband crying saying, I think God just called me to go, quote unquote, work at our church. (laughs) And that's what I said for a year. I work at my church. And people would ask me if I was a pastor. I was like, oh, no, I'm not a pastor. And Matthew, our lead pastor, would say, what else are you? (laughs) Um, I don't know. I'm thinking I'm like the executive director. He's like, churches don't have executive directors. (laughs) And so I had like a little internal struggle for the whole first year. Did God just call me to work at our church or Mm -hmm. did God just call me into ministry? Yeah. And I really only talked that out with two people. I talked that out with my husband and his response to me always was, Well, Amy, no matter which question it is, you said yes. Mm -hmm. So you've been obedient. It didn't still settle it for me. If I said it to um, our lead pastor and told him, he said, who's asking you that? Who's putting that pressure on you? I said, it's just inside me. Mm -hmm. I don't know who's putting that pressure on me. It's just inside of me. Did I just get called to work at our church or did I get called into full-time ministry? So it took me a year. I... 
went to, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Wellsprings prayer ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I went there out of just total curiosity, not to go pray about this. Just was like, I want to experience this. So many people have told me about this. This sounds amazing. I'm going to go get prayed over. Yeah, mm-hmm. bring it on. This sounds great. I remember pulling into the parking lot thinking, I wonder what I'll have them pray over me for. And I have a, a, a family member who I've been praying for, for dec- literally for three decades, mm-hmm. to have a transformational relationship with the Lord. And so I thought, I wonder if I'll pray about that, or maybe I'll pray about this church situation. No idea. And in that time, I realized those two things that I thought were on two different train tracks were actually intersecting. And part of my fear of being called into full-time ministry is that I would kind of weird out my family member. Mm, yeah. Like, what are you doing? You mm-hmm. left a successful career. You're a woman pastor now? What's up with that? <laughs> like, yeah. what, are, what, are you, what are you doing? I was afraid I was actually going to give them more reason mm. to not consider God. And in that prayer time, um, it was when they said to me, do you think there's any, any spirit of like double-mindedness? And I was like, as soon as they said it, yeah. Like I thought of that verse, am I now trying to please God or man? Mm. I'm still trying to like earn the approval of this family member and earn their, earn their respect. And um, so anyway, after that point, um, I accepted that I had been called into full-time ministry. And um, I took the really slow route towards ordination. I just did a few classes at a time, and I was just ordained this past summer of 2023. Mm-hmm. Which was awesome. Got to watch that. as at the time one of my uh, co-workers ministry. But I don't, yeah. Do you call them co-workers in the church? I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, she was also ordained, so I was there. Watched that. That was incredible. So we'll kind of hit the, the downside first. Have you faced any opposition, whether internally? Um, mm-hmm. A few people have shared this like internal opposition of like I shouldn't be doing this or I can't do this or being raised in you know a denomination that doesn't support women in ministry or outward like people speaking out against you. Have you faced any of that since you know coming into the church, especially at a later later age when you had already had a a career path paved for you, right? Um, have you ever faced opposition? And if so, what did that look like? Yeah. I think of two situations. One, I think of our, um, the few times I preach a few times a year. It could be, depending on the year, it could be, you know, seven or eight times a year. And we had had, at, in the history of our church, we had had a, a woman female worship pastor, mm-hmm. but had never had a woman preach. And even though the church was a Wesleyan church and it was a church plant, full of lots of people who really actually were unchurched before that. Yeah. The first few times that I would get up to preach, there would be times where people would just walk out and I would know you're not going to the bathroom because you're not taking your whole family to the bathroom. Probably (laughs) you're leaving. You didn't come here to hear a woman preach today. Mm. And so I would have to play like I'm preaching, but also facing this battle in my head. I'm talking and fighting off the enemy in my head while I'm also delivering a sermon. Mm -hmm. So that happened a few times. And then I also, I was really protected from it, but our lead pastor had somebody that now is like probably one of my biggest fans always tells me like just compliments about, you know, my ministry. But 
it's an older gentleman who had come from a different denomination where women were not supposed to preach. And I didn't mm-hmm. know, but in the first year that I was there, he had multiple meetings with our lead pastor, like prove it to me again that it's okay that she does this. Wow. I just need this proved to me again. And all the while he was super nice to me. Behind, I I was unaware till it was all over, mm-hmm. but I realized that had happened. The other opposition I had was kind of more unique in the sense that because I think I had life experience, I had come from a different career. I had people speaking into me and I think they thought that they were encouraging me, but I felt it to be discouraging. Mm. I had other women who were ordained would say to me, you really need to do this. You need to pursue ordination, not just like licensure, like because I came from a different career. So I was starting from scratch. Mm -hmm. You need to pursue ordination for all the young women behind you. And that just didn't like I thought, I don't think that's the reason I had, I had that conversation probably with three different women that I really cared about. And I kind of understand it now, but I still think in that moment, it felt to me very confusing. Like, that's not the reason I'm going to go pursue ordination. Mm-hmm. I am a leader for God is what I always viewed myself. I happen to be a woman, but I just see myself as I'm leading in the places God has called me to lead. I am a leader for God. Um, I am now a pastor. I didn't feel like I needed to tell everybody, oh, and by the way, I'm also a woman. Check that out. And that makes me extra special. I just didn't need to wave that flag. Yeah. So I almost resisted it a little bit because it felt to me like you want this to be more about the fact that I'm a woman Mm. than just the fact that I'm trying to be obedient as a leader and follow God the way he's leading me. Mm -hmm. So that was that was kind of more kind of blurry opposition or behind the scenes, you know, but it was still stuff I was internally working through quite Mm -hmm. a bit. Yeah. Which is hard because you hear that a lot. Like women getting ordained is giving other women the freedom and maybe that jumpstart to also want to pursue that or like that. Okay. Recognizing like that can be an effect of what we do. Like, and that's great. But like if that drives us, then like we're not doing it for the Lord. We're doing it for human we're right. doing it for man which we should never be doing anything for the church or for the kingdom where it's not driven for our desire to serve and know the lord better and i've actually never even thought of it that way so like seeing that that was something you dealt with is like very real like why are we doing the things that we're doing and if any of it is driven by man then we need to check our hearts and make sure right. we're not doing it because if you were to do it for those women ultimately like the effects of the ministry you're doing is not going to be fully to what it could be because you're not doing it out of the heart posture that should be done. And not to sound, excuse me, not to sound arrogant, but also I hope that my leadership for the Lord leads all sorts of people, Mm -hmm. men and women. Yeah. I'm not looking to just only lead the women behind me. I'm looking to just obey God in the way that he has called me. And I hope that that draws many people to a closer relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. So talking now the opposite side, kind of now bringing it up, people who have supported you. And you talked about this last time, and I want you to hit on it because I think it's so important. Um, we talked about Charlie Alcock and his mm-hmm. support, and you can go into that, but kind of that key story of what encouraged you to now how you get to encourage other people. If you want to run through that again, yeah, I just think it really hits home and will hit home for so many people. Yeah. Charlie was my youth pastor. 
And I think we were his second church. So he was really young. Like when I think about it now, he wasn't really that much older than me at the time. (laughs) And he was leading a vibrant, exciting youth ministry that was growing by leaps and bounds all the time. Um, But he spoke into my life in a lot of different ways and called me out to be what I think is my biggest calling is to be a leader for the Lord. Mm -hmm. He told me I was a leader before I was really a leader. He told me that I was, I was kind of still this shy, insecure, maybe not shy around my friends, but in a group setting, definitely insecure, trying to hide behind my friend. I always joke about, I was this five foot 10 girl trying to hide behind my five foot two best friend (laughs) because she had confidence and she had a, you know, a, a, like kind of a vibrant personality. And I was not even sure who I was yet. Mm. Um, and he kind of told me I was a leader. I was a leader. I was a leader until I kind of just believed him. Yeah. But in one of these situations, a little bit later in youth group, we were on an inner city missions trip to Chicago and we were doing these block party outreaches for this new church. And we, so we were going into this community and we're like canvassing the area, giving them information like tonight there's going to be a block party. So, And then we'd set up for the block party. There was food, there was live music, and there were like testimonies and then a speaker. And so somewhere along the line, they wanted one of us in the youth group to give a testimony. I don't remember if I volunteered or I was told to do it, but <laughs> somehow I was on the list. And so I remember waiting my turn to give my testimony. And the first person that went up was like somebody that had been in jail for drugs and had like this, you know, legal history, this whole long like rap sheet and like been delivered from this addiction and this lifestyle. And it was an amazing testimony. I was like, oh, that's so awesome. You know, Mm -hmm. the second person was this woman who had been like a prostitute and had had a really hard upbringing in life. And she had found the Lord. And it was like, oh, my word, her story is amazing. Like, this is incredible life transformation stuff. I don't have any idea what the third person was said because I was in straight panic mode. (laughs) The third person, I was in straight panic mode. I remember going straight to Charlie and I was like, what am I going to say? I have nothing to say. I don't know what to say. And he's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, I don't know. I've never done drugs. I've never had sex. I don't even know what to, I have no idea what I'm going to talk about. What did I get, what did I get delivered from? You know, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do. And he really, this has meant a lot to me my whole life. He really looked at me and he said, you go tell your story. Because you know what? In this setting, they've met a lot of people that have used drugs. They've met a lot of people that have had all sorts of sexual sin. But this crowd here may have never met anybody who was raised in a Christian home and made choices to continue to follow God for their Mm -hmm. entire life. He goes, today, you might be the most shocking story for this crowd. And he just said, you always tell your own story. And so that to me has always been a reminder that we have to just own our own journey with God and our own story and recognize that God's going to use that, that Mm -hmm. we may think it's not that big of a deal or it's too embarrassing to tell or it's not big enough or whatever it is, but our story has impact because that's how God works. Mm. And so we just have to be comfortable to tell our own story. Mm. That's so good. And we never know who our story is going to impact and that's the key thing Charlie was saying is like you have a key opportunity to witness to some people I mean there might have been one person in the crowd who had a story like yours right and they may have been might have been thinking the same thing like oh mine's not big enough or strong enough or there's no like big turnaround point but somebody might just have needed to be encouraged like what it looks like to 
find the Lord and continue to pursue him, knowing there's ups and downs of everybody's story. But like you might have been that prime example. And that's I mean, there's so many people I've been raised. I mean, being a pastor's kid, I've been a lot of people been around a lot of people who have that story. I Mm -hmm. mean, I'm one of them. And it's so easy to get into the track of my story is not enough. Well, it's ironic because people who have had that story of, you know, being delivered from sexual sin or drugs or addiction or anything like that, maybe thinking my story is too much. My story right. can't witness to people because it shows too much dirtiness and brokenness. Or this is all I'll ever be. And this was yes. all my kids will ever be. When yeah. like when you look up my family tree now, I'm like so proud of my parents. And I'm yeah. so thankful for that pastor that wouldn't give up. And mm-hmm. those neighbors that said these these people need Jesus, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but I just think like you know, if you don't tell your story, those people don't even know it's possible. Yeah. They don't know that that life is even possible. Yeah. And so just the the two sides of like, no matter your story, what it holds, it can say X, Y, Z and ABC doesn't matter. Like your story is going to touch somebody in a unique way. Right. And I just think that's incredible and shows the importance of sharing our testimony. Right. If you look at the church, if I was preaching to a congregation of 100 people and I asked people, raise your hand if you've shared your testimony to somebody in the last month. Like I can almost guarantee that there's going to be very few, if any, hands raised. Right. Which is heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. But it reminds you the importance of sharing your testimony because that's what we're called to do. Right. Go and witness to everybody. How do we witness? By sharing our story. Mm -hmm. Because our stories show a reflection of who Christ is. Right. And that's a very practical way we get to use that we often don't use. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's incredible. That's a big pivotal moment. And I love that Charlie was one to do that because, I mean, Charlie's just such a character. He came into the office yesterday and he holds up two hats that are the exact same but slightly different color. He's like, which one do I wear? I'm like, <laughs> I think they both look cool. He's like, but which one's cooler? And I'm like, wear the tan one. He's like, all right. Puts it on. He's going to meet with Switchfoot. Acts like it's no oh, big yeah. deal. And just such a cool guy. And I remember one of the pivotal moments in my life with Charlie uh, was during, during summer ministry teams. I always wanted to marry a youth pastor. Mm-hmm. I just was like, seeing my dad do that and my mom being married to him I was like I want to do that like that yeah seems so cool and and I knew I wanted to do ministry but I didn't know where and he came up to me out of nowhere and like looks me directly in the eye and he was like you're not going to marry a youth pastor and I like didn't tell people I wanted to marry a youth pastor I mean that's yeah. like little girl Internal. dreaming me yeah and he was like you're not gonna marry a youth pastor and I was like what <laughs> and he's like you're going to be the youth pastor. Aww. And that was before I'd like officially gotten my call into youth ministry. And I was like, what? Like, this awesome. is insane. And to now like be in a position where I am a youth pastor and now I'm preparing to marry somebody who's not a youth pastor. I'm like, man, the Lord really knows how to use people. But also I think Charlie just has yeah. a special touch of getting through to people. And oh, I yeah. love that. And he doesn't even remember that conversation. Like, he knows it now because I've told that story with him and to him so many times. Uh-huh. I just told it on his podcast a couple months ago. But he he always has to have me tell it. Because my point is, like, as my youth pastor, he was just responding to me. Yeah. And that is something I remember 30 years later. Mm-hmm. And I have anchored myself. That is one of my spiritual anchors. Like, that is true. And yeah. I will remember that. And that will be one of my anchors right there. Mm-hmm. And so, like, but in that moment, he was probably just walked away and then dealt with some misbehaving, probably somebody who wasn't paying attention and some misbehaving kid. And then he was probably over here 
wondering what we're going to eat for dinner. Like, I have no, you know what I mean? Like, he was yeah. just doing his job. Yeah. But he spoke something that stayed permanently imprinted on me. Yeah. Which shows, like, in ministry, we may never know the impact that it has on somebody until 30 years later. I have that conversation with my pastor all the time when I'm, like, you know, feeling the weight of, like, some of my students don't believe in the Lord. Some of them have all these questions. And, like, mm-hmm. with me right now, I have a deadline because I'm leaving for a residency in June. And so I'm like, okay, I have five months to like really work in these kids. And he's like, I, you're acting like everything you already have done doesn't have impact. And he's like, even if you don't see it, you have no idea like what you have done right. and what these students are going to hold on to. Right. And he's like, there could be, you know, 20 years down the line where you're back in Indiana, you're, you know, visiting your parents or whatever. You run into one of the students, you may not even recognize them. Mm-hmm. And they're like, your impact on my life has profoundly changed me and Mm. now like I'm you know part of this church or I'm leading this ministry or you know I've been able to lead my family like all these things that we have no idea what a simple yeah passing conversation could do and just try to remember that in every moment Mm -hmm. in every sort of ministry like we never know the impact of what we're saying and what we're doing to change something like that pastor I'm sure like he had no idea that that was going to change my family line. Yeah, forever. And yeah. to be a first generation Christian, he probably didn't know that's who he was talking to. And that the, the little baby inside that house was going to be a pastor. Yeah. Like, you know, no yeah. idea. Yeah. And who knows if you would have had that had your parents not come to know the Lord. Right. Like, you wouldn't have had that coming to know the Lord at four years old and being raised to know the Lord. And like, it's and I, just And I had crazy. a luxury that my parents were new baby Christians, I think. Yeah. Because they were just sponges. Yeah. So passionate. I mm-hmm. mean, every new Christian just wants to know everything, wants to teach everything. And mm-hmm. to be raised in that, like, now you get to teach that as well. Like, right. To want to know everything. And yeah, I think that's incredible. Well, I don't want to soak up all the time, even though I think that's so important. And I think it's so pivotal for people to know. But when you look at women and how you specifically work with women and mentor women, being a woman yourself in ministry, how do you work to empower them? And even having a young daughter yourself, like how do you work to empower her to know like she's capable of all things and can do all things? Mm-hmm. I think that I still am just the way I'm wired. I'm just really stuck on this. Like you don't have to see yourself any different than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, just be obedient to what God calls you to listen to how he is speaking to you. Whatever passions he's placed inside of you go. Pursue those. Mm -hmm. Whatever, like, gifts and experiences he's given you, use those. And so for me, I think I'm less about, again, I think I'm less about, and you're also unique because you're a woman. I think it's like the tomboy in me. Like, you know, (laughs) I was the girl who played basketball, and I was oftentimes like, oh, man, we need a 10th person. Amy can come join us, you know. (laughs) So I guess I always got comfortable, like, mixing it up and, like, with guys and so Mm -hmm. like in my mind I'm just like you don't have to always feel different because you are a woman just go be obedient that's what everybody's trying to do go be obedient to whatever God has called you to that being said not everybody works in a climate that is as accepting Mm -hmm. of women in ministry like my current church is yeah not everybody has that and so I've I have also recognized in the last few years I do need to think about the women behind me while I never wanted that to be my focus, I'm a part of a women in ministry cohort right now. 
And I am trying to be intentional. I just came from a coffee date with someone else that God put on my heart from that cohort. And I said, can I do coffee with you? And I really just wanted to build her up to listen to her situation and to just be a safe person Mm. that she could talk about her situation at her church. Because I am recognizing I do have some life experience that's really valuable. I (laughs) am older, even if I haven't really gotten any more years of full-time ministry under my belt as some of people behind me, mm-hmm. I still have something that I can offer because I've been through life stages that they haven't. Yeah. And so I have been much more intentional to look at the women that are in my circle and offer myself as a safe encourager, as mm-hmm. a safe mentor, just to try to help because I, I have clearly bumped into some people where I'm like, it is not as friendly, welcoming, safe in your environment for you to be a woman in ministry. Yeah. Yeah. And I love a cohort of women pastors because it's like I'm standing with you in your ministry Mm -hmm. and your experience might not look the same. And I mean, something that is always going to be ingrained in my mind is this summer at my church camp, the speaker said, if you, I can't remember if it was Patty or Nathan, they're just both amazing in my mind. But they said, if you are a pastor and you need to be prayed over to just know that you're not alone and know that you like you just need the strength of the Lord. This specific part of the altar is set apart for you. And so they just gave time. And I just saw one by one women go up and at there was a point and there was seven women up there mm. and that was it. And and we're in a room full of so many pastors. Mm-hmm. And I I like I love to uh, write poetry. I don't like ever intentionally write poetry. I'm not that kind of person. Uh-huh. But it just like comes to my mind. And I start writing down because I was like, I'm a woman who is at the very start of my ministry journey looking as there's a call for pastors and there's seven women up there. Mm-hmm. Like I'm encouraged to know like, man, those women are going before me. But I'm also like, why is there only seven women? One, mm-hmm. I know that so many more people need the strength of the Lord. And I think it was Nathan who went up there and was like, there's some of you who are lying out there. Like, mm-hmm. come, you know, come for yourself and come pray over these women. And so then a lot more people went up. But I was just astounded by that to know, like, these people need my support. Like, mm-hmm. I need to walk with them. And and so just being reminded of the things I can do. Like, my uh, one of my teammates shared her testimony the other day to group, which is just incredible. But she said, my... Uh, my Old Testament teacher said this one thing. Her name was Angela Spangler, who is now a pastor yeah. and had this dramatic effect on this girl's life because she was teaching an Old Testament class. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I need to text her. And so I texted Angela. I was like, hey, I just want you to know, like, your ministry is incredible and you have these impacts that you don't even know. And so, like, just affirming other women in ministry yeah. and empowering them, saying, like, you're doing a good job. Yeah. And I'm with you and I'm doing it with you. And I, I think we forget to do that sometimes. Yeah. And I think um, in I I did have one of the luxuries of being late to full time ministry is I do know the difference mm-hmm. of being in full time ministry and being in a job where I saw it as ministry. Yeah. And I I definitely saw my job as a counselor as ministry. I asked mm-hmm. every single client on their very first session, can we incorporate faith in the in your counseling work? And if I got a yes then it was going to be incorporated. If I got a no, then legally I couldn't. But Mm -hmm. I was super intentional that this was my ministry. I tithed part of my talent and would do like, like I tithed my income, obviously, but I also would see some people for free because I was like, this is a, Mm -hmm. right? So it it was legitimately 
my career, but I was trying to make it my ministry. Yeah. But then when you switch to full-time ministry, it is a different ball game. And there is an intensity in the spiritual warfare mm. that is noticeable when you've had something else. And I've talked about this at our church with a couple of our, our leadership team. And I'm like, you know, talking about when we hire somebody out of a different field, like a teacher, and now they're our children's director or mm -hmm. whatever. Like you feel it differently when you've been in a different job. So I think when you're talking about speaking into women, you have no idea. And sometimes there's not time or they're not able for whatever reasons, but you have no idea what they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. What any of us in ministry are dealing with. It could be just typical family struggles. It could be something atypical that's a family struggle. It could be, you know, financial stress. It could be spiritual warfare. So it is, I just think we should be generous with our words. Mm -hmm. We should we should take the time and say the things that we think that could be edifying to somebody else and beneficial to somebody else. Because yeah, we both have stories of like significance mm -hmm. where it was to that person, just part of their day mm -hmm. and it stuck with us Yeah, for a long time. It made a big impact. And so yeah. I think we have to be generous with our words and try to affirm people in the people that are in our circles of life. Mm -hmm. That's so good. Well, to end our episode, last question um, as somebody who especially has just such a unique story of being raised in the church, but then not being a part of the church on a staff and then somebody being like, hey, you need to do this. And then being like, OK, Lord, you're calling me to do this now, having been on staff for multiple years, kind of seeing how the church has where it's come from, where it's going in your lifetime now to be here and looking far beyond what do you hope to see the church accomplish? Like, what is your hope for the future of the church? Big C church. Mm -hmm. I think I have a lot of hopes. So my answer the first time we did this might have been very different. But today's <laughs> answer is I am just, I think, two things. One, <laughs> the power of human connection. Mm. I think we live in a digital world, in an online world, and it's only going to increase and I think we have got, as the church, we have to continually counter the culture and basically help people see we still need connection. I think mm -hmm. of that verse in James, um, I think it's five, chapter five or 16, I think that says, therefore confess your sins one to another mm -hmm. and you will be healed. Mm -hmm. So there is something in the recipe for us to experience full freedom and healing that it has to involve other people. Yeah. Um, so I think that's important. The second thing is I think we are, because we live in a digital world and because we are a fast-paced society, I think we are, I'm concerned that the Big C Church has to help people learn how to read their Bibles Monday to Saturday. Mm. Not just Google verses for anxiety because I feel anxious today. Mm. Or not just Google or get on my Bible app and look for devotions on purity because I need to work on that. Like, there's so much more mm -hmm. to spending time in your word and allowing God to speak to you through it. And I think that many of our people don't know how to pick up a physical Bible mm -hmm. and read it Monday to Saturday. And I'm really concerned about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And understanding the weight of a physical Bible. Mm -hmm. Like my uh, great grandpa was a pastor and my dad was called into ministry um, he made my dad promise to never preach the word from his iPad. 
He's like, anytime you read scripture, you got to pick up that Bible. Like he made him promise. And my dad has stayed true to that. Mm -hmm. He's like, there's so much power in showing the physical Bible, but like on a preaching standpoint, but like so much power in just holding the word of God and being able to read from it. And yeah, knowing the weight of doing that every single day and Mm -hmm. being able to glean from it. And yeah. I mean, even if you're reading the Bible app, like there's a there's a divide there. You're right. you're just holding a phone. Mm-hmm. Yes, the phone has the word on it, but like it's there's a weight to holding it mm-hmm. and feeling it and doing all the things. And I think that's so great. And I just thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Mm-hmm. When I got done with the the first time we recorded, or <laughs> I guess we didn't record first time we talked, <laughs> I was like, that's so good. Uh, and really was hoping that this one would be just as good. And I think it was. I think there's oh, good. so much uh, power to your words and your story. Um, and I really just believe it's going to touch people in incredible ways. It has touched me. So thank you for sharing. Yes. Um, thanks for having me. Yeah. And doing it again. Yes. <laughs> thanks for having me twice. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully you're the only one I have twice for this reason. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the Defining Yes podcast, I will see you back next week. <laughs>